This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. This has been such a, an interesting series to prepare for, thinking about the impact of family and the, the, the strong connection that exists within the family. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about conflict in family and the, the difficulties that come up in, in our interactions. Last week, we talked about the, the reconciliation that takes place after conflict and how we can restore relationships and reestablish relationships, even when we have been apart for a very long time. These are very, very important, very significant kinds of, of things for us to talk about. And, and the the value that we have as we read through Scripture is that we have so many examples of families in the Bible that help us understand not just what the image of perfection should look like. They really demonstrate to us the fact that families are dysfunctional. And in Scripture, we have these examples of families that really needed a lot of help. The first week we studied Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and all the conflict that rose up between their sons, Cain and Abel. Uh, the second week, we, we looked at Jacob and Esau and the significant divide that existed in their lives until finally they came back together. And the way that they came together is a very beneficial process. Today, we're going to be talking about the, the kinds of things that we pass on in family from generation to generation. Next week, we're going to be continuing this, this kind of conversation as well. Next week, we're going to talk about the legacy of faith and how... Our relationship with God, the example that we give to our children is very significant because we know how much we learned from our parents about what faith should look like in our lives. We become an example to our children. That's, that's our topic for next week. This week, we're going to talk about the, the habits and patterns that develop in life that we, we have learned and that we recognize will continue to be taught through our lives. And in particular, the importance of recognizing those negative patterns in our lives that we need to break free from. So we're going to be talking about breaking the chains of habitual patterns through generations and even in our own lives today. Now, I look back at my family, and I am grateful for all of the, the things that have contributed to the person that I am today. I look back at the way my parents raised me, and I see so much of them in my life. I am physically a reflection of who they are. My, I look an awful lot like my dad, which is frightening sometimes, but I'm also glad for it. I know that, that like the, the shape of my body, the way that I move, is a, is a reflection of who he is. Some of that is, is genetic, and some of that is from me watching him as a, as a child, mimicking his movements and behaviors. I have very much become a reflection of, of who he is. I'm also... Uh, a reflection of my grandparents. I spent a lot of time with them growing up. My sense of humor is, is a product of my grandfather, who passed away recently, and my father. Um, just You combine uh, just kind of witty comebacks and sarcasm all together, boom, there it is. Um, and that's what I learned from them. My uncle uh, was a preacher and is a preacher in Anderson, Indiana, and, and in my teenage years, I spent a lot of time listening to him preach. And what I didn't know is that as I was listening and watching him, I was picking up on behaviors that I would then employ in ministry. I took a group of teenagers on a retreat uh, to that area where he's from, and I invited my cousin, who's a good friend of mine, to, to come and just hang out for a little bit. And he was watching me interact with the students in our group, and he said, this is scary 
but I've heard you say several things exactly the way my dad would say them. Yeah, I, I can't help that. And maybe in your life, you, you've been able to look back and see the impact that your parents and grandparents have had on you. You're, you're able to see not just the genetic makeup of who you are, but also the learned behaviors that have become a part of your life. The things that were rewarded by your parents in some way, and they, they became a consistent process. The things that were punished by your parents, and so you learn to remove them from your life. But also, maybe you've picked up on some things that you've learned by observation from their example. You've learned how they responded to stress, and you've picked up on some of those mannerisms. Maybe you, you've watched them deal with conflict in a, in a healthy or unhealthy way, and whether you want to or not, when conflict comes up in your life, you respond in the very same way that they did. And you find yourself saying things that, that they have said to you again and again and again. Uh, this very often shows up when you have kids and you start, you start giving your kids instructions and responding to their behavior and you, you stop yourself and think, oh wow, how many times have I heard my dad say that to me? How many times have I heard my mom say that to me? And now I'm saying it again. We recognize that, that we learn a lot of our behaviors from the example that we have in the home. It, it is a, a dynamic environment in which our personality is forged. And while much of that is good, it's important for us to recognize the negative trends that come up, the chains that exist of patterns of behavior, so that we can identify them, recognize them, and choose a better path. The example from Scripture we have today is in the life of Gideon. If you turn to Judges chapter 6, that's where we first find Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press. Now, the beginning of Gideon's story is very uneventful. There's not much about, about the man that he's become. It really is uh, the opening pages of his story are, are, are kind of a sad reflection of the life that he's come to live. He's hiding in a wine press. He's, he's gathered in wheat from the fields, and he's threshing the wheat within the structure so that the Midianites won't find him. And so he is threshing, which means he's taking probably a flail and just beating the stack of wheat to separate the grains, the heads of grain of wheat from the stalk and the chaff. The, the heads of grain are useful for food. They would use the stalk and, and the chaff for other things. Uh, some of it is useless, and so those things need to be separated. At this time in history, the Israelites, the entire nation, all of the tribes, are being oppressed by the Midianites and several other foreign nations. As they are producing grain in the fields, as they're producing crops, these foreign nations invade. Uh, at the same time, like clockwork, they invade and they destroy the fields. They camp on the useful produce. They trample it into the ground. They take it for themselves. They have demoralized the Israelites and impoverished them through this oppressive behavior. And the Israelites have become so destitute that they recognize that they cannot resolve the situation on their own. And so they turn to God for help. They cry out to God for assistance. Now, the reason that they have been oppressed in this way is because they have been very disobedient to God. When God delivered them into their current home, the promised land, the land of Canaan, as he was delivering them out of Egypt through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, he said very specifically to them, I'm going to drive out the nations before you. 
And when you, when you establish yourselves in the land that they once lived, do not worship the gods that they worship. The Israelites, having been delivered into the promised land by God, settled in, and sure enough, disobeyed God. They chose to bow to these false gods. And they found themselves oppressed because of their disobedience. This is where Gideon entered the story, hiding from the Midianites, protecting the, what, little, what little grain he could from them for the sake of his family and his tribe. It was while he was hiding in this wine press that God appeared to call Gideon into his service. Now, the image that appeared showed up underneath this great oak tree on his father's land. And scripture refers to this image as the angel of the Lord and also refers to this, this person who appeared, this image that appeared as the Lord himself. And these names are interchangeable as the presence of God in front of Gideon. And this presence of God invited Gideon to serve him and deliver his people both from their oppression and to deliver them from their disobedience. This is the role of the judge. If you look back in the Old Testament, the, 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 the book of Judges describes these individuals who were raised up by God to deliver the Israelites from oppression and to help them become faithful to God again and to turn away from their disobedience. And it's a pattern that we see in the, people, the history of the people of Israel that the, when the judges rose up and delivered the people, they would be faithful for a time. And then when that judge died, it wouldn't be long before the people of Israel would, would fall back into their disobedience and this cyclical pattern would repeat in their lives. What I want to call your attention right now is this moment when the presence of the Lord invited Gideon into his service. He began the conversation with this simple phrase, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now this is, this is not the way Gideon would have seen himself. He would have seen himself as the opposite of mighty. He's hiding in fear. Much of his family is living uh, in caves where the Midianites couldn't find them. They have, they have brought in the, the produce of the field and hidden it away in storehouses, hoping desperately that they could keep some of it for themselves. He's in a wine press, a place where you wouldn't normally be threshing grain, hiding from the Midianites. He's not a mighty warrior. He's terrified. A terrified farmer, more than anything. But the Lord called him into his service, reminding him of his presence. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And when Gideon heard God's plan for him, his first reaction was to question the plan and also to question how he would be able to fulfill that plan. First, he questioned this, this, the beginning of this phrase, the Lord is with you. And he said to the presence of, of God, if if the Lord is with us, why haven't we seen evidence of his presence? Now, we've heard about how, how God displayed his power in miraculous ways when he delivered our people from Egypt. Why haven't we seen any of that? Why are we being oppressed and, and, and left at the mercy of these foreign people? Where is God? It doesn't feel like he's with us. Here's the response of the angel of the Lord, verse 14 of Judges chapter 6, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? 
pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Those are powerful words. And Gideon asked the Lord to stay where he was, asked him for a sign. He said, let me, let me go and get, get something to sacrifice, to, to offer to you. Please stay where you are. But, but, but I, need, I need to know that what you say is true, that you are who you say you are. And so Gideon got some meat. He got some, some, some bread that hadn't risen yet, some flat bread, and brought it, brought it and laid it before the Lord on a rock. And fire from the rock consumed everything that they laid out before the Lord. And Gideon knew without a doubt that he was standing in the presence of God. And there beneath that oak tree, Gideon built an altar and worshiped the Lord and began in this crucial turning point to turn away from the pattern that he and his family and his tribe had been a part of, began to turn toward God, following after his will and his way. The angel called on Gideon to look at the images of those foreign gods that were around him. There was an altar where they made sacrifices to Baal. There was a pole standing in the ground, a sacred place that they would use for depraved kinds of worship. And the angel of the Lord said, I want you to tear down that pole. Take your father's bull. Build up an altar to God in the place of this altar to Baal. And use the wood from the pole to, to make this bull into a burnt sacrifice. Very distinctive act. Defying the worship of these false gods. Declaring his allegiance to the Lord God Almighty. And Gideon thought about how he would respond. He thought about who he was. He recognized how, how significant it was that, that God said, I'll be with you. Go in the strength you have. But he was also confronted with his, the image of who he had become and the kind of fear that he lived in daily, the kind of life that he was subjected to so instead of going immediately and following what God had said, he waited until night. He waited until it was dark. He waited until all of the people around him, his family, his clan, his tribe, all of the surrounding community were asleep in their tents. And then he crept out quietly at night. And he tore down the pole. And he tore down the altar to Baal. And he built up a proper altar to the Lord God Almighty. He took his father's bull slaughtered it, sacrificed it, and used the wood from the pole to burn that bull before the Lord. Now, I know that he's doing all this at night, but there's so many things he's doing that I can't imagine wouldn't have woken someone up. He, he tore down a wooden pole, either chopping it down or by, by using maybe the bull with ropes to tear it down. This, is, this would be loud, significantly loud. He slaughtered a bull. Now, I've not personally slaughtered a bull. I've been with my father-in-law when they were... They were uh, processing some of the, the hogs that they had on his ranch. And that's loud. You, you can't go through that process without people hearing what's happening. And then when he, he lit the fire and started burning the sacrifice to the Lord, can you imagine the smell of, of burnt meat and flesh just permeating the area? People, 
I can't imagine people didn't recognize what was happening. And yet, from what we hear from Scripture, Gideon made it through the night without being found out. Everyone woke up in the morning. They, they came out of their tents and they looked around and the familiar signs that normally were there, that pole standing, was no longer there. There was a stump in the ground and next to it, this altar before the Lord with the burnt remains of this animal. And the people were furious. It didn't take them long to discover who was responsible. Verse 30, we see how they responded to all that had happened. The people of the town demanded of Joash, this is Gideon's father, Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. And from this point on, Gideon led his people into battle. He freed them from the oppression of the Midianites, and he freed them from the pattern of behavior that they had been living in so that they could turn back to the Lord and be faithfully obedient to him. Notice that pattern of behavior. Notice what, what they had succumbed to. They went into the land where foreign gods were worshipped. The altars and sacred places were still standing, even though the people had been driven out. And for whatever reason, curiosity, boredom, interest, they started to investigate what this worship of false gods looked like. And they started to practice they turned their hearts from the Lord and bowed to these false gods and worshipped them. It became part of their culture. It became part of their everyday lives. It was an expectation of family and community. They all took part in it. Fear was also a prevalent part of their pattern of behavior. They had become oppressed by the Midianites for so long that they began to believe that they could not take a stand that they could not break free from the current pattern that they were living in. These were the chains that bound them. The patterns of behavior that had been present in their lives up to this point and would have continued to be present in the future, in their lives and in the lives of their children. Chains bind us to a pattern of behavior. Chains become a part of who we are when we allow them to be present. Chains are made one link at a time. We look back at our parents and our grandparents. And we see how they've contributed to the links in the chain. We see how their lives, their decisions, their choices, their behaviors have produced a pattern, not only in their lives, but in their children's lives, and sometimes even in our lives. And we look back to the past, we can see how the chain has been formed, one person after another. And we have a decision to make about how we'll proceed. 
the choices we'll make, the decisions that will be a part of our lives, not only in the present, but in the future, and that will also become a part of our contribution to coming generations, the way we'll train them, the way that we'll teach them, the kind of example that we'll have for them. Chains are formed as each link comes together. Sometimes those links are a pattern of what our parents have done. Sometimes those, those links in the chain are simply a, a pattern of our own behavior. As we think about the conflict of life, the difficulty of life, and, and we consider how we are going to deal with those difficulties. We have decisions to make. Sometimes we deal, we deal well with, with conflict and, and difficulty. We recognize the issue and we address that issue and we learn how to, to resolve that issue. Those are called coping mechanisms, the things that we do in healthy ways to actually resolve conflict and difficulty in life so that we can live in a better way and we can turn things around and surrender them to the Lord. There are other times in life where we choose to address the consequences of difficulty we choose to address the feelings that come up because of, of conflict and difficulty. And when we only address those results of an issue, we find ourselves self-medicating, choosing behaviors that will distract us from the pain, choosing behaviors that will numb us to the pain, to focus our minds on other things. And when we do that, when we choose those behaviors, we slowly wrap up our lives and bind ourselves to this repeated pattern of behavior. And those, those means of self-medicating can very quickly become addictions that, that bind us, that we have trouble shaking free from, that we, that we find limit our lives so significantly, creating consequences of their own. Sometimes those methods of self-medication are behaviors, things that we do to distract ourselves when we get home from a difficult day and we turn on the TV and begin binge watching and we sit as, as a sedentary blob on the couch and, and, and passively let hours go by, letting our minds just think about nothing so that we don't have to face the difficulty that we know is waiting for us tomorrow. Sometimes we develop an addiction to social media and we'll, we'll constantly scroll and scroll and make comments, hoping someone will like them, hoping someone will respond in a positive way, and we feel the elation and the, the joy that comes from that experience. Sometimes we eat and let the pleasure of food distract us from the, the difficulty we're facing. We end up overeating and indulging in, in harmful ways, and we use that behavior as a means of medication. Sometimes we turn to the obscene, and we use pornography and allow that chemical rush to resolve the, the conflicted, difficult feelings in our lives, and we, come, we become bound to an addiction that we can't shake free from. Sometimes we find ourselves in stressful situations, and we let anger rise so much so that the only way that we can get through it is to just let it pour out, and we unleash an unholy torrent of words on whoever's nearby, and when we do, it feels better. There's a release that comes. And we find ourselves dealing with stress through angry outbursts that damage the lives of the people around us. And yet, because it makes us feel better, it becomes a pattern of behavior that we get bound to, that we can't shake free from. Sometimes it's not a behavior that we turn to. Sometimes it's, it's a, a substance. And we develop a pattern of, of smoking, our cares away of drug that will numb the pain of alcohol 
continued overindulgence so that we don't have to face the difficulty. Maybe it's caffeine and you, you are dependent on this drug to get you through the day and you don't know how to get free and it's a burden. Chains bind us to a pattern of behavior. They bind us to addictions that we have trouble shaking free from. And we end up suffering because of those things that we've allowed to be present in our lives. Suffering because they, they weigh us down. Suffering because they bind us in ways that we never thought they would, and yet we, we can't understand how to shake free. We don't, we don't know what it looks like to try and get free of them on our own. We think of the pain of having them in our lives. Physically, if we're bound by chains, we notice the bruising that takes place as the chains cut into your flesh. And, and just the thought of, of pulling your hand free and, and the additional pain of straining against the rough metal, tearing your skin away, becomes an unbearable thought. And so instead of fighting against the chains, you succumb and submit to the chains. And you allow them to remain. Not because you like them there, because the thought of removing them is so much more painful than just letting them be. That's, that's the way these addictions and patterns of behavior remain in our lives. They're present, and they're a burden, and they're a pain, and yet we don't have the will. We don't have the, the grit to endure the pain of cutting them out and letting them go. And so we live burdened by them, hoping no one will see them hoping no one will find them, knowing that they're holding us back from being who God is calling us to be, and yet afraid to acknowledge that they're even there. And we find opportunities to serve. And we want to step forward and be faithful, and yet we have these things that are keeping us and holding us back. And instead of acknowledging that they're there and finding help, instead we say, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm not available. I, I just can't. We have opportunities to, to, to serve the Lord and, and step forward into a better life. And, and when we know these things are holding us back, and yet we just can't seem to, to shake free. These chains become the focus. And we no longer are focusing on our relationship with God because they've become so prevalent, so oppressive, so heavy. We don't know what to do anymore. I don't know if you've ever tried to end a pattern of behavior on your own, but breaking chains is really hard. They have tools that help with that, giant bolt cutters that also require a lot of energy, a lot of force, a lot of pressure to break free from. And it's a difficult process. But at some point, we have to recognize the need to break free and sometimes that, that recognition comes when the chains become so heavy and oppressive that, that real consequences show up because of them. And we know that we have to get rid of them or we're going to destroy our lives with people around us. Sometimes we find the will to begin breaking free from those chains because we recognize that, that this doesn't represent the present. And we think about what the present looks like. We find ourselves somewhere in the middle that we look at the way life has been in the past and the, the way that we've learned to live and the choices that we've made along the way and the present is here. And when we look to the future, all we can see is the continuation of this burden. 
And we know that not only is it going to continue to affect our lives, but it's going to affect the lives of our children as well. And we get to a place where we, we realize that unless we do something here and now, these chains will become an overwhelming weight in the lives of the people who are coming after us. Breaking chains is vital to your health and well-being, and it's essential to the health and well-being of the generations who will come after you. To let them go, to surrender them to the Lord. Chains break when we refuse to be bound by them any longer. Gideon's story, we find him in a place where he had, he had to be convinced by the angel of the Lord to break the chains that bound him. Gideon had excuses. He was afraid. He didn't want to. He couldn't imagine himself stepping forward and being the catalyst of change, of choosing a different path, of breaking free from the way things were. Not only for himself, but for his people. But he was reminded that the Lord was with him. He was reminded that the Lord had already given him strength. Go in the strength that you have. That's what God said to him. When Gideon finally acted, he was found out. He was accused by family and friends. And in this moment, what he found wasn't that he was alone. It wasn't that he would have to return to the burden of the past. It was that he had support. And his father stepped forward to defend him. Joash, who at any point in his life could have put an end to the worship of these false gods, but he didn't. And when his son stepped forward, Joash was willing then to take a stand, to support his son, to care for him and protect him. support him in his choice. Joash learned a valuable lesson as he stood up and defended Gideon from the crowd and watched as the links of the chains began to break because Gideon decided to take a stand. When we submit to the Lord, what we find in him is the right perspective to begin breaking chains. That he provides for us the will to make a decision. He provides for us the strength to follow through on the decision. James chapter 4, beginning verse 7, it says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. One of the, the most difficult things of chains in our lives is realizing not only that they exist, but they've become such a significant part of our lives that if we had to describe what they mean, all we could say is that we have submitted to them. We've not only accepted their presence, but we have no longer the will to fight against them. And we're bound by them because we've submitted to the fact that they're there. 
And what James tells us is that instead of submitting to the burden of the past and the repeated behavior of our sin, what we should do instead is submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's through the strength of the Lord that we can be set free from chains. Chains that we have no power to break on our own. And through our perspective, feel overwhelmed by the weight of them. When we submit them to God, we discover that he has power over them. Power to break them. Power to set us free from them. You look in the book of Acts, chapter 12. Peter's been taken captive. And he's bound by chains. He has one wrist chained to one guard. The other wrist chained to another guard. Two men who are with him all the time. When he falls asleep at night. That's how he lays, with one hand bound to one guy and one hand bound to another guy on both sides of him. And God intervened in his life. The angel of the Lord showed up in his prison cell, nudged him awake, get up quickly. And the chains fell. And he was set free. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been taken captive. They're not just in prison. They're taken to the inner cell, the place that no one can escape from, placed in stocks and chained to the walls. Instead of being overwhelmed by their situation, instead of being helplessly bound by their chains, they lift their voices in prayer and worship. They're singing in the middle of the night. And the walls began to shake and the doors flew open and the chains came loose and they stood up free. Not only them, but everybody else in the jail with them. They walked out. God has the power to set us free from chains, to overcome the difficulty that we're bound to. Now, I have just said to you that if you're bound to addiction in your life, what you need to do is submit to God, and he will set you free from that. And you and I both know that it's not that simple. That submitting to God is the beginning of a very hard and painful process of having those chains broken free from your life. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. It's going to call on every ounce of willpower and determination and faithful obedience that you can muster. But know this. God will be with you. And he will strengthen you for the task at hand. And he will show you the path that you need to be on as you break free from those chains and follow faithfully after him. Submitting to God and letting him begin the process of breaking chains means first that you have to be honest that they're there. You have to be willing to admit that you're bound to them, weighed down, and unable to live the life that God is calling you to live. Well, that's a difficult thing for each of us to acknowledge the wrong that's present in our lives. To own it to admit that it's there. We've spent years hiding. We've spent years protecting ourselves from the recognition from that there are flaws, that there are, are difficulties. And the first thing we have to do is to admit just how far we've come, just how much that sin or addiction has taken hold of our lives. We have to have the will to live a different way, to surrender to God and allow him to begin breaking those chains and carrying us through the, the process of 
finding a new way to live faithfully obedient to him. That's not something you can do by your own strength. That's not something you can break free from on your own. When I was a kid, we, we went and watched the power team, uh, the, this group of Christian men, just like weightlifters, bodybuilders, and they would, they would pray and they would bend rebar. They would, they would break concrete blocks just by the power that God had given them. It was a cool show. But none of them, by their own strength and power, can do what only God can do. And breaking free from the chains of addiction is not something we can do by our own will, by our own determination. It's something we have to be empowered by God to accomplish. We can't set ourselves free from the chains of sin by hoping to sin a little bit less and taper down over the, the course of six months or a year. And if we just keep sinning less and less every day, then, then someday we'll find ourselves free. That's, that's not how sin works. Sin is a temptation. Sin is enticing. And while you're trying to taper away from it, while you're trying to sin less, sin is grabbing at you, trying to pull you back towards it. Satan is tempting you every day in multiple ways, trying to draw you back to the chains that he has you bound in. And you can't slowly step away from addiction. You have to cut it painfully from your life. You have to allow God to dissect it out of you like a surgeon, removing the cancer of your life. And that's a painful process. All the things that you've used to medicate yourself through life will be gone. The comfort that you felt in that sin will no longer be present. And when difficulty comes, you will wonder what to turn to, how to cope, how to deal with the difficulties of life. And in those difficult moments, in those moments of desperation and pain, you'll need to turn to the Lord and focus on your relationship with him. When you are weak, he will give you all the strength that you need. When you're tempted, he'll give you hope that the future can be different. When you're focused on his desires for your life, you won't have time to focus on the desires that Satan is placing before you. And through that process, your mind will slowly begin to transform. By the power of the Spirit of God at work in you, you will find yourself being renewed. As chains are broken, we must choose to be transformed and renewed. This is what Paul tells the Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, to no longer conform to the pattern of this world. To no longer... have to take place to support you and supply the strength and hope that you need in those difficult moments. It's not something you can do on your own, but it's what God accomplishes in you as you choose to set your heart and mind on things above and not on earthly things, to no longer conform to what the world says is acceptable, to no longer conform to what your family expects you to be, to no longer be the product of what you read on Facebook and in social media, but instead to stand distinct and down a different path, to 
teach you what's right, and give you strength to be obedient. And discover his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is not something you can do on your own. It's not something you should do on your own. And as you submit to God, you will recognize how much help will, not only in hope, but in people around you. That God's placed people significantly in your life to carry you through the difficulty that you're facing. He's provided people who can mentor you and guide you down the path. And even though you're ashamed of what your life has become, even though you think no one will understand what you've dealt with, once you recognize what it is and you're willing to admit it, what you'll find is there are other people who are older than you, other people around you who look like they're more faithful than you, who have already dealt with the thing you're dealing with, who can walk beside you and say, I know, I know where you are. I know how this feels. You think no one understands. You think you're so far gone, so ashamed that no one can look you in the eye again. But when you surrender that to God, you will find hope in him. And here's how I did it. Let me help you do it also. God has placed mentors in your life that can help you through those burdens. He's also placed friends in your life. Some of them who are struggling with the very same thing you're struggling with right now. And you can help, help hold each other accountable to what God is doing in your life. You can remind yourselves of the places in life that present a significant temptation. You can help each other avoid those places, cut them significantly out of your life. Maybe it's a friend that you have that's always calling you to do that thing that you know you shouldn't be doing, and you need to set some boundaries. Maybe it's a group of friends, and when you're with them, you, you, you no longer are in control of your decisions, but you just allow them to, do, to guide you to do whatever they are doing. Maybe for you it's a, a situation that you know you shouldn't be in, and you need to unsubscribe to the streaming services that you have. You need to turn the internet off of the phone that's in your pocket, and you know that these decisions have to be made. They have to be cut out of your life, and you need support from people, not only to, to remind you of what's right, but also to ask you if you're doing those things that you know are right. And when you know that someone is going to check on you, that's a lot of motivation to continue doing what you know you should be doing especially when you're tempted not to, especially when you think if no one ever found out, there's really no harm that would come from that. And your own thought process will justify your decision of going back to that sin. You need people around you to remind you how valuable it is for you to be free from those chains and to follow God in the path that he's leading you to. Now, that's, that's, that's a heavy sermon. That, that's, that's some serious stuff that we're talking about. but it's valuable. It's essential. And we recognize that, that some of those things are things that we've learned from people as we follow their example. Some of those things are the product of our own decisions. But what I want to call you to today is the recognition that God desires for you to submit to him, to turn away from the chains of the past, and to be set free. That's why he sent his son to die. That's why he was willing to let the blood of Christ be shed on the cross to bring about grace and forgiveness, to bring about hope that even the most difficult of addictions can be overcome. The power of God that he's presented to you as a gift. And this morning, I want to invite you to make a decision about your relationship with Jesus. To turn away from your sin and turn to him to accept him as Lord and Savior, be baptized in his name, to allow him to begin setting you free. Maybe you've already accepted Christ 
And even though you, you want to be faithful, you know there's still chains holding you back. If you've been struggling for a long time, I wanna challenge you today to, to begin this process, to submit to God and draw close to him so that you can resist Satan and watch him flee, so that you can see how God will break the chains away from your life and give you freedom, final. Because you can't do it on your own. We all need him. We all need his strength. We all need his love and his grace, every one of us. So this morning, if you have a decision to make, this morning, if, if you've been burdened, and as I've been talking, you've been feeling the weight of those chains. And you have a decision to make. I want to ask you to come forward. And let me pray for you. Let's talk about how you can begin being faithful to the Lord. If you have a decision to make, if there's anything in your life you need prayer for, please come forward as we stand and sing together.